Hey, this is Heather Knight from the Surviving to Thriving podcast. And if you want to build thriving communication skills, you should be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm speaking with Heather Knight. Heather is the executive director and founder of Surviving to Thriving, which is a nonprofit in the Atlanta area, helping women who've been abused to take empowerment over their lives and take that next step. She also hosts the Surviving to Thriving podcast, which speaks to women who have been in those situations about their stories and how they overcame them. So really powerful stuff. And Heather is also in a leadership role in a number of for-profit companies as well with her husband, so she keeps pretty busy. But we get into the communication cues to look out for that might be red flags that someone is dangerous early in a relationship. We also talk about those cues that someone you might know may be in an abusive relationship and how you might be able to best approach them about it and help them with it. And then we talk about what she's learned about running a successful nonprofit, how you raise money and grow and drive success. So this is a powerful and meaningful episode, and my hope is that you might just walk away with an insight that might help you to help someone in your own life. So Heather, thank you so much for joining me on the Art of Communication podcast. Really appreciate you coming on today. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think we'll have a ton of valuable conversation for the audience um, around a lot of, uh, I don't want to say unique, but but challenging communication areas, right? Things that folks struggle with. And I, I just think there's a lot that the audience can learn from you. So I'm excited to dig into it. Definitely. So if we could just start off though, by giving me a little bit of background on surviving to thriving your nonprofit, kind of the inspiration for it and, and what your mission is. Yeah, so Surviving to Thriving started in October of 2018, and it is a nonprofit that supports women of domestic violence through lifelong sustainability. So we do lifestyle learning classes such as um, how to open a bank account, how to save for your 401k, boost your credit score, things like that, Um, GED courses, free college courses, trade school type things, skill, actual attainable skills. And then also I'm a nationally certified women's self-defense instructor. So I also teach women's self-defense and that program is really cool because it's trauma-based. So you can go and take a um, Brazilian jujitsu class or a Muay Thai class. And if you've been in a traumatic situation, chances are you're going to be re-triggered and you could possibly have a flashback or be in that moment and freeze. And this is a program that will help you work through that versus those instructors may not know how to do that. So they'll stop, they'll get you calmed down, but you probably won't ever learn how to fight through that, which is really what you need to be able to do to not become a victim again. So that's that program. And then we are also in the near future going to be purchasing housing for um, like lifelong sustainability housing. And that'll be um, a three to five year program where they really don't have to worry about 
paying bills and where their next meal is going to come from and all of this thing, all of those things while they are trying to rebuild their life. And so that is kind of our overarching mission Very and what we really want to do. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Definitely. Yeah, it's um it's a it's a huge undertaking, um, but it's really, really rewarding and really exciting. And um it came from I was in an abusive relationship when I was in high school. I don't like to necessarily say that he's a bad person because I really think that we were both just toxic for each other and that we both played a role in that relationship being toxic and we were both very young and didn't understand great communication and you know respect for one another because we were so young but it still did have an impact on how I you know, went through college and how I, you know, reacted to different things happening. And then I was also sexually assaulted in my high school years as well. So it just kind of all of that kind of then transformed into me becoming a police officer. Um, And I was a police officer for four years. And then during that time, just before I left the police department, we started, we founded the the nonprofit with my husband, Zach. Wow. That's, it's amazing that you're able to take those challenges that you face and kind of turn them around to help others so that they don't suffer from the same things, or they can at least rebuild their lives after struggling through the same thing. So that's, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's definitely something that a lot of our pieces are educational so that you do, we have the, the 16, 17 year olds that are getting into these serious relationships, whether or not, you know, people want to tell them, Oh, you're too young for love. You're too young for this. They're in serious relationships. They're losing their virginity. They're losing their, or they're, you know, they're gaining all of these different things in within themselves that they don't know how to process. And they end up in different types of situations that they don't understand. And so it's a lot of just educational pieces of saying like, this is an adult thing that you're doing and this is an adult response to it. Yeah. And as a father of, um, uh, you know, two teenage girls and two teenage boys, that definitely speaks strongly to me and terrifies me at the same time. <laughs> but it, it's definitely a, a very noble thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So a lot we can dive into, I think, around communication related to those things. Yeah. Uh, if we could just think preventative, though, think uh, think before anything happens, right? When you're first meeting somebody, what are some things folks can look out for in body language, communication style, red flags that, hey, this person might not be a great person for me to start a relationship with? Yeah, so there are several, but I'll just name a few. Um, One of the main ones is constantly controlling the conversation. It may seem that like they want to know everything about you, but if they're continually controlling that conversation, that's where there's kind of a red flag. That's a small one, right? It could just be that somebody's nervous, right? Mm-hmm. If that's the only thing wrong with the first date, I wouldn't, you know, automatically say <laughs> that they're going to be an abusive partner. Uh, but that is just a key sign of control. Of they need to be in control. One would be um, wanting to move very quickly. So if you, you know, you're on your first date and they want push those boundaries of can we have our first kiss? Can I come inside? Can I do this? If you don't set those boundaries and they're continually pushing them, that's another red flag, as well as pushing those boundaries and just simple things like touching your shoulder or touching your leg or doing that and things like that on the first date where it's not very, it's not normal for somebody to be that touchy feely Mm -hmm. on a first date. Um, So things like that, where they're just trying to almost trying too hard to get you to like them so that they can rush into things and move things forward 
quicker than a, a normal relationship would be. And then is that, I guess, another underlying sign that they're just trying to rush things forward and trying to become too committed too quickly? It, yes, that, that is a huge, huge red flag because they want to get you into a position where you can't leave, right? Or where you where they feel comfortable enough to start that abuse, right? It's not like the first date you're going to get physically abused, right? That That's not how it ever works. It's this mm-hmm. honeymoon phase of doing everything for you, making you feel like you need that person, you need them in your life because they're making everything so easy for you. And then two, three months down the road, you feel like you're just over the moon in love and, and elated and all of these things. And so you're willing to kind of maybe go against your gut feeling because they've made it to where you almost need them in your life. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So maybe you could break down kind of what healthy communication in a relationship looks like versus, uh, you know, if uh, as a not, not healthy communication, right? I don't want to say toxic communication, but communication that might start pointing towards abusive. I'm sure you've kind of seen some patterns in healthy versus the conversations these women are having who are in these difficult situations. Definitely. The first thing that needs to be communicated is boundaries. And this is especially important for women who have already been in an abusive relationship and are getting back out on the dating scene, so to say. You need to be very clear in what you expect on the first date, and you need to be very clear what you expect out of the relationship. You don't have to say like, I'm looking for marriage right off the bat, because that's going to scare anybody away, right? Nobody (laughs) goes on the first date saying, I'm going to marry this person. But to know that like, are you looking for hookups? Are you looking for a serious relationship? Are you just wanting to kind of test the waters and see if something clicks? But you need to communicate to that to whoever you're talking to, because if they're just looking for a hookup and you're looking to find a serious partner, that's not ever going to work. And somebody's going to get hurt along the way because somebody expected something that didn't happen. So just being able to set those boundaries and and not be afraid to talk about your boundaries and and being open with the person that you're talking to is a really healthy start in that relationship. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And another thing I might add is just being open, having an open flow of communication within the relationship, which is hard to do even for healthy couples for sure, because it's hard to talk about hard things and disagreements. But the more you can be open, even if maybe you know you don't talk about it immediately, but it's a couple of days or a couple of weeks later just being open to each other's faults and communicating about them clearly uh, is really important to a healthy relationship, I think. Definitely. And that's, you know, getting into like a more, maybe you're four, five, six, nine months into a relationship and you do start having those little, I wouldn't call them arguments, but just really figuring each other out. That is the point where you should be reading books like um, the five love, love languages or mm-hmm. you know the all these different things to learn the best way that your partner communicates and the best way that you communicate and not immediately react to your emotions. So if you are in a heated argument, nothing's going to get solved at that point in time because neither one of you are thinking rationally. And that's a huge part of it as well is a lot of times each person individually thinks like they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to do this. They are, you know, making it difficult. I want to talk. I want to do this where it's like, even as 
yourself, if you're yelling at them, you're not talking, right? You are, Mm -hmm. you're just being angry. So being able to, like you said, have that cool down time and wait a few days a week and, and revisit it when you both are calm and can have an adult conversation with each other about the feelings that you were having. Yeah, absolutely. Now for the folks who kind of are maybe not in a relationship, but love and care about these folks or work with them, who, who or the woman who might be struggling in, in difficult relationships, how do we, what cues should we be looking out for that might indicate that something might be wrong there? So if you are constantly in contact with them and you see them on a daily basis, if you know their personality and they're very outgoing and they're very bubbly and loving and and all of a sudden that kind of starts to dwindle, that is a huge sign of something that is wrong. It doesn't even have to be that they're in an abusive relationship, right? It could be something completely different, but it's a sign that something is wrong within them. And then another thing would be if they start canceling plans or the abuser could even reach out to you and say, this per- or, you know, he or she is doing this to me, doing this to me, doing this to me. You shouldn't be friends with her anymore. That is a huge sign from an abuser that they are trying to isolate that person. Mm. So a lot of times they will just manipulate the entire situation to make you believe that even though you were friends with the victim prior to the abuser, they're still going to try and get you to believe that the victim is the problem in the relationship. So those are, that's a sign to look for from the abuser standpoint. And then also just the victim canceling plans or being evasive, not answering, you know, questions about their relationship. Even if, you know, you're, if you've talked to them about their relationship a lot, you know, that used to be something that you guys always talked about. And then all of a sudden they don't want to talk about that anymore. That can be another sign. I mean, there's so many different things that different people will do and they're not always going to be indicative that they're an abusive relationship. You know, they could just be going through something else in their life, but it's always good to check on those people. If you ever get that inkling that there's something going on. Yeah, I think that's great advice and certainly difficult waters to tread through. But if you think there's something going on in somebody's life you care about, you know, investigating that a little bit in a sensitive way can really make a difference. Definitely. And that and that's that is the hard part. It is treading waters, especially if you believe that their life is in danger through being, you know, their abuser reading text messages or, or doing anything like that. It can be really hard to get that information pulled out and you want to be really respectful of if you ask a question and it's it's evaded or you know not answered, it may be that they're being monitored and they can't answer that question. They don't feel safe answering that question. Yeah, well, just to have that perspective is is valuable, but also scary, right? Because that wouldn't be something I would necessarily be considering in the moment. But but definitely, it's a good thing to have in mind. So, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with the podcast. Yeah, so the podcast is a direct link to the nonprofit. And so we do a lot of educational pieces again on there. We bring on experts that talk about finance, talk about social media presence. A lot of victims have never had social media or it got taken away from them because they, you know, weren't they their abuser didn't trust them not to reach out or, or do any of that stuff. So they don't have a social media presence or it's not 
in a way that is enticing to employers because we all know that employers look at your social media when you apply for jobs and things like that. So bringing people on to talk about that. We also have people come on that are mindset coaches and talk about, you know, different shifts that you can make and small things that you can change in your daily routine to start getting you in that mindset to either leave a situation if you're not ready to leave. A lot of it is due to mindset. The other part of it is financial and, and, you know, support system things. And then also that mindset of getting back into a a normal routine, a normal life after you've left a situation. And then the last thing that we do is we have survivors come on and tell their stories. And that's really powerful because the survivors that we have come on are thriving in life, right? They, they've, had they were in a situation they escaped and they're now you know doing well with their lives and doing well is you know it's a huge spectrum you could just be happy right that is Mm -hmm. successful if you're just happy in life and then we also have people who have their own businesses are ceos and and all of these things that they were able to take their struggle and turn it into something really good so it's a mashup of different people's journeys but it gives the woman that's listening, something to say, you know, see and, and hear and be like, okay, all of these people are doing this, then, you know, I can do this as well. Yeah, it's so powerful. I think it has the ability to reach so many more people as well. And so many folks who are stuck in that situation right now, where you can obviously only reach so many with the nonprofit, the physical nonprofit, but you can reach thousands, hundreds of thousands, right, with the podcast and make a real impact, you know, build up their courage so they can take that step or give them the resources they need to be able to take that step safely. Um, that, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I assume it's always uh, maybe not difficult, right, but sensitive to get them to kind of open up and tell their story, but it's also therapeutic and healing, I, I would think. Yes. Yeah. It, it's... Um it's a weird mix of emotions for myself. It's very draining. I mean, I could do podcast interviews all day of our experts and our mindset coaches, right? Because it it fuels me, it energizes me to talk about mindset and and shifting all of that. And it's really exciting. But I can only do one or two survivor stories in a week Mm -hmm. because they're just so emotionally draining. And to, you know, hear everything that they had to go through and then all the things that they had to go through again to restart their life and do all of this, it's, you know, you're, you're elated that they are alive and that they're thriving, but then to also, you know, have that sorrow that they had to go through all of that. So it's very, very draining. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it is, but it's definitely powerful work that you're doing there. Um, And where can folks find the podcast? Um, It is on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, really anywhere that you can download podcasts. And it is called Surviving to Thriving. Right in line with the nonprofit. Yeah, so definitely go check that out. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're going to love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors? to gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are. Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, 
Instagram and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. So now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about running a nonprofit, leading a nonprofit. Right. Um, Because I know it's full of unique challenges. (laughs) Right. Trying to communicate a vision, get folks behind a vision that is large. They're probably largely volunteers to begin with. Right. So you're not paying them. They don't necessarily have to be there. They don't have to listen to you. (laughs) Uh, Tell me a little bit about the challenges, especially from a communication perspective of running a nonprofit. Yes, there are a ton of challenges that come with running a nonprofit. We got lucky in finding people that were passionate about domestic violence, but then I had to realize that even though they're passionate about domestic violence, they don't understand or didn't understand Zach and I's vision for this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, you know, in the beginning, never having owned a business, run a business, had any type of management experience as a police officer. I was just like assuming that, okay, you know how to build a website. So what do you need for me? (laughs) You know, type of thing of like, I don't even need to, uh, here's, you know, a bunch of information about domestic violence and, and, and build it. And it was just like, I was getting frustrated that things were not happening. And Zach was like, well, have you told anybody what you need done specifically? And I was like, well, no, but isn't it obvious? And he was like, no, it's not. You have to communicate what you want from people. And so, you know, in the first few months, that was really difficult to learn how to do. But now, you know, it just, as I practice doing it, as I continue to have more people under me that are doing day-to-day tasks, and I have to constantly be in communication with those people, making sure that they're doing everything. And, you know, we're bringing on interns even. So like, there's a lot of different moving parts. So I've definitely learned that you need to communicate. You need to expressly say what you want done or it's not going to get done. And, and you can't get frustrated with anybody if you don't do that because it, we're not mind readers, right? Nobody is a mind reader. Nobody really understands a vision unless it's you and it's your vision. It's definitely a trap I've fallen into many times thinking that just because I, it was in my head and I thought I said what I wanted that the other person took that away and knew exactly what to do next. It's definitely, there's a learning curve there to figure out how to do that well, no doubt about it. (laughs) Um, I think another challenge unique to nonprofits, well, maybe not completely, but it's fundraising, right? Different kind of fundraising, but going out asking people for sponsorships, for donations. What have you learned from a communication perspective is working well from there, from that angle? Yeah. So that was a really hard thing for me to grasp because I mean, as, as you know, as we've learned from Travis is like over deliver, over deliver, over deliver. Right. Mm-hmm. As a business, you can do that. You can say, you know, if you pay me X amount of dollars, I'll do all of this stuff for you. Well, as a nonprofit, I'm not doing anything for our donors. Right. 
mm-hmm. that none of what we're doing is geared towards helping the people that donate money to us. So it was really hard for me to go in and ask people for money for nothing in return, right? You get a tax write-off. That's about it. So I, I really had to get over that part of it. But then I also started to develop things that would over deliver to our sponsors and our, our donors. Cause I feel like that is a lot of the downfall of nonprofits is it is a lot of ask, ask, ask. And again, that communication is nonprofits assume that the donors and the sponsors that are out there know exactly what their money is going to and how they're going to help the nonprofit succeed and do all of those things. But in reality, they don't, right? Just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean that a sponsor is going to align with what you're doing or that a sponsor knows what you're doing. With Surviving to Thriving, we have so many different things that we're doing. There's no possible way that a donor would know everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, one, communicate that, communicate our story, and then just, excuse me, think of all of these different deliverables that are out there that we can provide to donors has really been helpful for me at least to start that conversation without feeling like I don't need to be asking those questions, even though as a nonprofit, it's exactly what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Has have you seen the response change as you've been taking that path? Yes. Yeah. As we've gotten more, um, more ability to offer different things. We've definitely had more interest in sponsorships and, and donors and, and all of that. And, you know, we're, we're planning a conference right now and a lot of it is geared towards our donors, right? We, Mm -hmm. we have spots for the women that are in shelters and that's the message is geared towards them. But a lot of the deliverables and a lot of the things that you can gain from the conference also apply to our donors and our sponsors. So that's one of the things that we've created that gives that kind of give back and that value. Yeah. And on a similar note, I mean, how much time do you spend networking with, you know, potential donors, potential partners, um, other nonprofit agencies? Because I assume that there's probably a pretty broad network of things that you can plug the women into who are your clients. So do you spend a lot of time kind of trying to build that network and and just building that community? Definitely. Recently, that's been really hard to do as we Uh, all know (laughs) what we're we're dealing with. But prior to that, I was going to probably 10 networking events a week, if not more, just to get the word out and, you know, find those different businesses that we could partner with and, you know, see what value we could bring to them. Like with the defense class, that's not just for women of domestic violence. It's for every woman everywhere, you know, and everyone mm-hmm. needs to learn how to, to defend themselves. And so that's one of the things that we're, we're doing is, you know, if you donate X amount of dollars, we'll do um, a, a course for your employees. So um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, it's something I love teaching that course. So it's, super easy deliverable to to do. But that was a huge point that I did in networking. And and it was just all the time, every day doing something because you run out of donors eventually, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody is asking that person, there were that company, hey, donate to us. So they may have to choose every so every two or three years or so different nonprofits to donate to. 
And so it's always trying to continually be in front of that person and be in front of that company. Um, and doing that, you have to be out networking. Yeah, absolutely. Networking is always exciting and exhausting to me personally. You know, like it's kind of exciting when you're in there and you're meeting new people and you're in the midst of it. The thought of doing it's exhausting. You leave exhausted. And really the value of it is making sure you follow up and build those relationships after the fact. Yeah. Um, you know, what I've found works well in, in the networking events themselves is kind of just trying to be open and friendly with everybody and remembering that they're not judging you. You know, you might feel like they're judging you, like everybody in the room is judging you, but, but they're not, right? So try to be open and friendly and, and just try to have fun. And typically, I tend to meet folks that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I dread going to networking meetings, but I love them once I'm there, right? It's, it's a lot of fun to meet people. And eventually you go to enough and you start meeting the same people or, yeah. you know, because there's different people in, in different areas and the same people in different areas. So you start to recognize people in the room and faces and, you know, then it gets exciting because you're like, oh, you know, I get to reconnect with this person again. But then again, yes, you know, a lot of times they run late into the evening and, and it's exhausting and, and then you got to go home and, and think about who you're going to reconnect with and, and how you're going to reconnect with them. So definitely exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how COVID has certainly changed our ability to connect with other people. I'm curious of how your communication with your clients has changed in the midst of all this. I'm sure you've had to drastically um, shift the way that you're operating. Yes, definitely. So a lot of our clientele are pulled from different shelters. So, so since we're not a emergency shelter and we don't have an actual like space that we work out of, we try to keep our overhead really light. Um, at this point in time, we will eventually move into the housing and all of that. Um, so a lot of our stuff was partnered with other nonprofits in the area. So that, you know, those classes have really dwindled and being able to get that out, that information out there, we're relying on the other nonprofits to kind of continue those things. And since they are leading those classes already, they're not really wanting to do them again. So mm -hmm. that's kind of slowed down for us. We obviously can't do any self-defense cl classes because you have to be, you know, face-to-face -face combat and all of that stuff. So there's all of that that has just kind of dwindled, but you know, we're still planning fundraisers. We're still working. We're still networking with a lot of people, keeping, you know, ourselves at the forefront of everybody's mind mm -hmm. so that when all of this is lifted, when we can get back out there and, and start doing things again, people haven't forgotten who we are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So last thing I kind of wanted to touch on as far as a topic goes before diving into a few questions that I try to share with everybody who I have on the show, but you, you, you're involved in a lot of for-profit businesses as well, right? So you're, you're quite busy. Tell me a little bit about those and, and really how, I guess, the difference in leading a nonprofit versus leading a for-profit, especially from a communication perspective. And then how do you balance all of that with, with kind of your family life, right? Because I yeah. certainly struggle with that as well. Yeah. So we have, I want to say four businesses. Sometimes I feel like it's 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, one of them is a security consulting business that my husband and I uh, own together. And that one is, it, it doesn't really run itself, but we've been at it for four years now. So we've kind of got the rhythm of things. And so that one's pretty easy to manage. We employ uh, current 
military and veteran uh, military and police officers to do a lot of the work for us. So it's it's very easy to do that one, and a lot of them understand the security world already and how to run things. So it's not a lot of managing and a lot of explanation and, and teaching people how to do things. So that's really easy for us to do. The other one is a business consulting firm and that one's really new, fairly new. And um, that one is uh, taking somebody that has an idea of just broad idea of a business, taking them from that idea to implementation to the first year of their business. And then, and then also with that is uh, podcasting and, and getting your podcast started because I think most businesses should have podcasting going along with what they're doing just because of the way it's growing right now and the amount of how fast people are consuming podcasting right now. And then we have an online clothing store, which pretty much runs itself as long as I go out and <laughs> buy the clothes to sell, <laughs> um, which sometimes gets hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that one's kind of on the back burner. That's okay. And then we've got the nonprofit. And it is, a lot of it is run the same. Uh, a lot of it is as a nonprofit to be successful, you have to run it like a business, right? The only thing you can't do is a profit, right? You can't, everything that you make has to go back into the nonprofit. And that does, that doesn't mean you can't pay people to do their jobs, right? You can't expect people to work for free forever. And so that doesn't, you know, mean that you can't do that, but anything after paying them has to go back into programs. You have to constantly be upgrading things and, and doing all of that. So where the, profit side of business is, is you still have to manage, you still have to do all these things. If you make a profit, it can sit in the bank account forever, right? Until you need it on a rainy day. For a nonprofit, you have to have somebody that is constantly checking those finances, constantly in communication mm-hmm. with the board and saying like, hey, we need to spend this much money by this amount of time. Let's think of programs that we can implement. So a lot of that is that communication part there. But that would be the real the big difference that I would say between profit and nonprofit businesses. Yeah. And the dynamic of the board as well was something that was on top of mind for me, but obviously with a nonprofit, you have to have a board in most cases. And I'm sure it's challenging sometimes for you who has a vision for where you want to take it, building it from the ground up to have to take feedback from the board, right? Who might have a different vision. I'm sure that you built the board very thoughtfully around that, but I've certainly seen nonprofits struggle at that point where the board wants to take it a different way than the founder does. Yeah. And as of right now, I am on the board, which helps in the fact of being able to kind of keep that vision aligned. But now that we're, we're growing and we are building that traction, I'm going to have to step off the board, which is scary to me because then I do lose all control. In, in reality, I have zero control over the nonprofit. I just have to trust that the people that I've put in place will still listen to me yeah. <laughs> when, I, you know, when I want things done. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, the board is definitely a, a different dynamic than just a a founder of a business that can say all the bank accounts are under my name, so you can do whatever you want, but <laughs> all of, you know, everything that's, it is still going to me. So, you know, that's a, a very different dynamic for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely interesting. So just a few more questions I like to kind of pose to everybody. The first one is around the power of conversations. 
I really believe in the power of conversation. So I like to ask folks if there's a conversation they can point to in their lives that had a meaningful impact on the path that they ended up taking. Yeah, I would definitely say conversations between Zach and I. I was very stuck in this sense of false loyalty to my former police department. I loved what I was doing, but I was also miserable in the same sense. And so it was a very difficult time for me. And I felt this like they gave me my first job. I was able to move out on my own. I was able to do all of these things and had this, this internal struggle of, you know, I owe them everything. And that, that conversation of, no, you don't owe them anything because you are replaceable, right? You are just a boot on the street. It does not, you could, you could be shot in the line of duty one day and they'll have your job posted the next day. So having that conversation and realizing that I need to be doing things that make me happy all the time and and moving into the nonprofit world and working for myself and running these businesses has really been that step forward. But having that discussion with him was one of the hardest ones I've had to have, but it also shaped that the path that, that I'm on now. Yeah. And, and for the audience, Zach is her husband (laughs) and it's, um, it, it's so powerful to me to think about the fact like if you didn't have that conversation, where would you have gone? And so many folks aren't lucky enough to have that person in their lives to have that difficult conversation with. And so they remain miserable, you know, down maybe the wrong path. Maybe they did get lucky and find the right path, but the, the conversation and the willingness to have it is definitely a fulcrum if you will to kind of push you in that right direction. So that's kind of cool. Next question. If you think about your journey so far and kind of everything that you've been through, is there a communication skill that you wish you had in more abundance that would have made it all easier for you? Confidence. Mm, um, there was, and a lot of this has to do with my path or my past. I was very reluctant to tell people no, to tell people where my boundaries were and to say, I'm not comfortable with this. And that comes with confidence. And a lot of times it, it's hard as women to have confidence because you come off as I don't know if I can swear on your show, show but Go for it. <laughs> you know, you come off as bitchy or, you know, uh, that kind of egotistical, arrogant person. And so learning how to be confident without having that connotation attached to it, I wish I had a long time ago. I've learned it and I've crafted it. Um, and I think policing helped me do that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because you have to be confident when you talk to somebody on the street and you have to be you have to have that sense of like, you're not going to talk back to me. You're not going to overpower me. Like I am the authority here in this conversation, but still being respectful to people, right? They're still human beings that you're talking to on the street. And so that learning that art of communication was very difficult, but Mm -hmm. something that I'm glad I learned, but I wish that I would have learned a lot sooner. If you go back to kind of your first experiences learning how to do that? How do you come across as confident when you're really not that confident inside? A lot of it had to do with having other people around me. So I kind of felt comfortable doing it, right? Sure. So like the first interaction I had as a police officer was probably nothing, right? I, I honestly don't remember it, but I've, I had an FTO. I had, you know, the academy. I had all this training and, and everything, but I was still nervous, 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 nervous. And, but just having somebody over my shoulder to kind of step in if I started to fumble 
was really helpful. And then until I was able to just do it on my own without having anybody in there to help me. For sure. I can certainly relate to that. And kind of my early days presenting, not in a a police sort of venue, obviously, but always having mentors or team leads or bosses with me to help me kind of learn how to do it well and be there to support me, especially if kind of questions come up I can't answer. And then eventually learning to do it myself and getting really, really confident and, and sometimes surpassing them as far as how good of a presenter I become, you know? So it takes time. Nobody's really good at it at first, I don't think. No. And then at the end of the day, you just fake it till you make it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> can't been... give up just because you feel like you're not good at it because exactly. you'll get good at it eventually. Exactly. I, I remember there was, I was maybe uh, two or three weeks out on my own without a, um, a, another patrol officer, like riding in the car with me. I pulled this car over and they were like, they, they were like, what are you new? And I was like, Nope, I've been here for X amount of years. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, like I just had to fake it because if I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing. They, they'd they be like, okay, bye. Yeah, <laughs> There's no point yeah. talking to you. So definitely That's funny. fake it, play, <laughs> make it kind of, kind of gal here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love it. I was just, I had a conversation earlier today and we were talking about uh, kind of giving speeches and seeming confident when you're not. And, and, her insight was act as if so act as if you've already given this presentation it went tremendously well you know so now you can be calm and confident which is similar to saying fake it till you make it right maybe a little bit more purpose-driven but (laughs) um, very in line so last question for you who's the best communicator that you know could be you know personally or just that you know of and why would you say that about them is it cheesy to say zach (laughs) no no it's not that's why uh, I expected you to go after our conversation. Right. <laughs> um, now, I really think that he has this art, you know, to say art of communication, that he can read people and read their body language well enough to know how to say something to them, to not upset them, mm-hmm. to get the point across, and to get them energized about whatever they need to be energized about, right? We actually just had this conversation last night. And it was, he can be blunt with me because of the relationship we have, right? He can say, I need you to go do this and get it done now. And me not take it personally because I know it's business, but you know, some of the people that we work with, you have to kind of sugarcoat it because you know how they're going to react to, even though it's not personal, if you don't say it in the right tone, it comes off as you're mad at me or, or I'm not doing something right. And so that's, it. he's very good at being able to do that to where people are just kind of wanting to follow him and wanting to to help him in, in everything that he's doing. Yeah. And that's why he's one of the first folks I interviewed. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, I agree. He's a great communicator and a powerful leader and um, folks can learn a lot from him. So I'm definitely on board with that. <laughs> so where can folks find you and learn more about the nonprofit? And, and we already talked about the podcast, but everything else that you're doing. Yeah, so we are all across social media as Two Thriving ATL, and it's T O Thriving ATL. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Mm, we do not have a TikTok. <laughs> I don't know what I would put on TikTok. Um, yeah, I think um, it's a difficult subject matter for TikTok. Yeah, definitely. So um, those platforms, we've got the podcast, and then our website is twothriving.org. Got it. Well, thank you. I want to. Thank you for all the awesome work that you're doing. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I thought it was a great conversation. I know that the audience has taken away a ton of value from it. So thank you. 
Definitely. Thank you for having me. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.